0: people were better. Let me emphasize that again. But because God had declared them righteous to be his people, which was a reflection of him and his holiness. Look with me at verse 10, verse 11 in chapter 10. We're going to jump around a little bit. Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, And do his will, separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. It was the relationship God set up and God initiated and adopted them as his own own that made them righteous. And then look at verses 5 through 9, if you will. And at the evening sacrifice, verse I'm sorry, chapter 9, verses 5 through 9. A lot of jumping around, too many chapters here. And at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting, this is Ezra talking, with my garment, my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God saying, Oh my God! I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we have kings and priests have been given into the hands of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame, all it is today. But for a brief moment, favor. "...has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within this holy place, that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem." That steadfast love, this story that Ezra is telling is the story of God's love for his people, right? It is God's undeserved and unearned loving kindness, his hesed, his gracious relationship with fallen human beings whom he chose to be his own possession. Let me get to the point here. If you have been saved through Jesus Christ... As the Bible says, chosen to be God's people who know his love, who have received his grace, then you are declared righteous, and in that way you are a holy race. Because you are the righteousness of God in Christ and the loving possession of God. Let me say, there is nobody and nothing like y'all in all the earth. nothing and nobody like you believers in the church in all the earth. God looks at you like a grandmother looks at a perfect grandson through the grace colored lens of love and being his child. Okay, this is what it means. You can't act and be like and with everyone else around you. You may not be able to see it today or experience it right now. You might have had a bad night, but about, this is about his declaration over you. Before, it's about how you feel or how you perform, or maybe you forgot just how strongly true it is, but you believers in Jesus Christ are special. You are holy. You have a declaration. And verse 2 in chapter 10 says it. You have faith with God. So you believe as you who are different cannot be indifferent about how you live in this world. Isn't it great to be special? Not sure, are you? Isn't it great to be God's holy possession? The one group of people, the one thing God looks at from heaven and says, I'm sanctifying that. I'm going to glorify that. They are holy. And when he speaks it and Jesus applies it, it becomes truth. True about you. You need to just go ahead and accept it. And so when verse 2 says that the holy race in chapter 9 has mixed itself up, it means that these Israelites and marrying this certain group, mixed light with darkness and oil with water, holy with unholy. So recognizing God's holiness, it was only fitting and right to rid and remove the sinfulness out of their lives. Look at verse 10 through 15 in chapter 9 with me. And now our God, what shall we say after this? We've forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants or prophets, saying the land that you're entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands and with their abominations that have filled it up from filled it from end to end with their uncleanliness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their son, neither take their daughters for your sons and, and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat, The good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, seeing that you, our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserved, and has given us such a remnant as this, shall we break your commandments again and intermarry with the peoples who practice these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you consumed us, so that there should be no remnant nor any escape? O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just; for we have we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. These are the fun passages in scripture. I want you to recognize that these marriages with these foreign women was illegal in the eyes of God. Remember that back then, the Jewish nation's law was God's law, and God's law was the Jewish nation's law. These were illegal, not recognized before God. Though they were living that way, relationships, because they were breaking the commandments of the Lord. And let me tell you, it was picky, right? Because there were allowances to marry wives from other nations, certain ones, but not wives from the countries of the place that God's people were called to set up shopping. They, they could marry the natives. They could marry the locals, let's call them. And so here is the call to holy people for holy reform. Look at verse 3 in chapter 10. Therefore, Let us make a covenant with our God to put away these wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord, and all those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. And then verse ten in that same chapter, if you look down. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from the foreign wives. Something, okay, this is profound, ready? This is actually teaching believers that they should stop living in sin. Profound, isn't it? To stop living outside of the lines of God's law. Let me make it easier. Stop doing with the Bible what God's word has said is sinful, breaking God's law, participating in unholy activity and thoughts, and do what God has told you believers to do. This is what Ezra is calling for. This is what the Bible is calling us to do. It's not a popular message in church. I wish I could have skipped these two chapters and talked about how great and prosperous we're going to be. But it is true. The Bible is saying, stop sinning. You can't. You have a covenant relationship. You have a legal relationship. You have a binding relationship with God that Jesus' blood died for, that Jesus' blood was spilled for, rather. And if you break outside that, you break covenant, you break the law. Stop breaking the law. Y'all waiting for more, right? God can be so picky. You know what it's like? (laughs) Because, you know, it's easier to stop doing what it's easy to, you know, God can be so picky, right? You, you know what it's like sometimes going on a diet. There are only going to be a few things that make sense to your taste buds and appetites. You may resolve, but if you're like me, after eating one of those diety kind of meals, your taste buds, your stomach and appetite are like, no dog, that ain't right. That better not be all definitely not enough salt, saturated fat and preservatives. Your body will talk to you. It does me. I'm eating one of them things with the turkey. What kind of turkey? Turkey. Fried turkey. Turkey, turkey, right? And then, come on. I'm kind of stereotypical. I like fried chicken, right? I just like it. Just, if it wasn't for chicken, where would it be? It ain't a racial thing. It ain't a Southern thing. If it weren't for chicken, people would not be alive. Except for Ricky. He don't eat meat, right, Ricky? He'd think it's unfair to the chicken. It ain't unfair to the chicken, Ricky. Come over from the dark side. That chicken wants to be eaten. That chicken comes out, I'm born to be eaten and deep fried. How did I get off? I have no idea. I mean, I could imagine God, after being in israel for 60 plus years you could get tired and no longer see the point considering a temple was built and all to stay away from these foreign women i mean your only choice seems to be not the butcher but the butcher's daughter right yeah all don't get that fiddler on the roof or anyway come on tippy it's a brand new world right okay sorry i like musicals okay so and I am sure those foreign wives were a lot more fun and they gave them insight and insight into the broader community. I'm sure they just knew how to treat and make a brother feel good. Setting for, settling for a regular old Jewish wife again was like eating a turkey sandwich every day. Or maybe they rationalized that, that God doesn't care anymore. We've been faithful long enough, God. But bottom line, the marriages were illegal and thus sinful. Inconvenient and self-serving and satisfying or as normative as it can be, sin is wrong and never will be okay or good. Look with me at verse three in chapter nine. As soon as I heard this, Ezra says, about the intermarriage, I tore my garment, and my cloak, and pulled hair from my head and bared and sat bared and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithfulness of the returned exile gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garment, my cloak torn and fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And then he talks about how good God has been to them. And then he can, you know, tells the story of God's redemption and then he, he continues in, uh, in verses 13 through 15 describing God's their guilt before the Lord. The tearing up of your hair and clothing back then was how people mourned. It was like Ezra was witnessing a potential funeral. Instead of getting his black suit ready, he tore up stuff because he believed he was witnessing the possible death of if not all, but many that day because of God's intolerance for sin. But he was also showing the damaging effects and strained sin could have and put on us in our loving, kind relationship with God. If you were tore up like Ezra was, you couldn't come into the house of God like that. You see, the problem with these foreign wives that that were locals was that they were in the stronghold of pagan faith, and it was more likely than not that these wives would pull the hearts of their husbands and children away from god and mix in their faith with god's faith and god is holy remember but even beyond that that the children could be raised as unholy by the mothers and they would not be covenant children That's why the penalty for not showing up to repent that we hear about in chapter 10 was loss of land because it was going ahead and giving what would have been lost anyway because the land was part of their holy blessing relationship with God and the pagan women and their children could not inherit it rightly. Their wives, marrying these wives and staying married to them would taint and eventually kill their faith. They would kill their relationship with God. It could have leave them unable to connect to and believe and obey God and get his loving kindness and the fullness that he wanted to give. Sin, playing around with it, living on the bright edge of its setting, pretending like it isn't that bad, counting all the good reasons and reasonable good that might come from what you're doing is subtly dangerous. Some of us, like these people, are joined, married, hooked into what we shouldn't as part of how we make it every day. It's part of how we, it's part of how we cope. It is how we get along in the world and do our jobs and deal with our loneliness and our pain. And like these wives, it has produced real pleasure and real happiness and real relief and real community. And and what kind of stuff are we talking about? The way we do friendships, the way way we have those friends uh, help us not be obedient to God. The way we get our friends to give us advice who don't know the Lord and they like prophesy over our lives. We let people who don't know God tell us what our lives should and shouldn't be, sometimes in opposition to everything God's saying in your life. Some of us have have sexual outings and relationships or with and with ourselves with our minds eyes and bodies or or, or or our thought lives are one big fantasy of wanting and watching and envying what we don't have in relationships we we've made a habit out of watching living for and being entertained by what is ungodly i know how it feels believe me to be joined intimately to sinful stuff and making it okay to come home to And even becomes a part how we do in Copeland, to shack up with it, to feel exhilarated and comforted and loved by and loving it. But it is tearing apart and forfeiting and gutting the blessings that our relationship with God gives us. You know what Ezra's saying? Ironically, it's God's loving kindness, his grace, his powerful mercy that we are in danger of lessening and putting to the side to make room for our marriage to sin. Your marriage with whatever besetting behavior, relationship, thought pattern will make the goodness and the joy of the Lord like a foggy pipe dream. You hear people talk about being happy in the Lord, joyful in the Lord, and you just wonder why there's not room for it in your heart. It will take the joy out of your salvation away where you are God's but not enjoy it so much. It will endanger your faith and you produce in your your faithless children, produce faithless children for you a life that is always a faith crisis and never faithful contentment. It will get easy to get stuck living halfway in this philosophy and that philosophy, but you are joined into sinfully, which means you will start living by works and not by grace. You will experience more condemnation and fear than confirmation and freedom. Trust me, what you thought you loved about your relationship with God will become a burden, a strain, and a pest. Many of you have taken sin as an unlawful partner in a desperate attempt to be good to yourself, to deal with the bad and mediocre, but you must know this. You can't be better to and for yourself than what God has and can be for you. You can't be better to and for yourself no matter what you bring into your home or bring into your life or bring into your thought life or put into your behavior pattern. You can't be better to yourself than what God has for you and can be good for you, right? So sin must find an exit so that God's mercy can flow in. Now, we don't do divorce today as believers quite like this anymore, like they did back then. But what happened to them serves as a kind of a harsh biblical example and archetype of, 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 of how we should deal with ungodly, unbiblical things in our lives. But nevertheless, you've got to be wondering, like I did when I read this passage, what it must have been like to hear that you have to divorce your wife and disown your kids for the glory of God. It had to be painful and brutal. You know why? Real loss was happening. There's no doubt that there could have been love between husband and wife and children. I mean, if you think 10 years, if you think 20 years in, somebody got married before Ezra got there, they might have been married 20 years. Loving each other, getting along with each other, making breakfast for each other, having children, having birthday parties. I look at this and I'm like, this can't be right. Especially for the children, how childlike, innocent meets sin damage is awful. You know what is harder than going after and falling for the girl of your dreams? Breaking up. You get that feeling here. Look at chapter 10, verse 10. So they all gather together after they hear about what they've done is wrong. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, you have broken faith and married foreign women and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord and the God of your fathers and do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the lands and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, it is so, we must do what you have said. Hear this. But the people are many, and it is time of, it's time of a heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this a task for one day or for two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, into the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Everyone supported it except a couple people. Not only is it cold and rainy, they would rather not stand in the cold and rain and answer for the sin. But get this, they say they have greatly transgressed in this matter. In other words, they have deep relationship with their wives. This will not be easy to do, though they have vowed and committed to because they have married and found identity and love and life in their sinful ways. They ask for mercy in dealing with this matter because of the pain of loss. I cannot, and I will not lie to you, But removing and divorcing from sin will cost and it will hurt and it will seem unfair. And it will be easy to trick yourself into thinking, God can't want me to change or be challenged this way because it is too painful and too much work to let go of. No way God wants me to be lonely. No way God wants me to feel attention and unmet sexual needs and desires. I'm a healthy man and woman. No way God wants me to really intimately, truly make it work with this husband or this wife for as long as I live. No way God wants me to lose these friends. No way God wants me to be bored at home or unfulfilled feeling. There is bad news for abiding sin. Leaving it will mean you and I will experience real feelings of loneliness, emptiness, fear, anger, anguish. Get this. End of real love and the gambit of human pain and suffering. Let me make it clear before we go any further God did not cause that pain. The marriage to sin you shouldn't have been involved with, whether you were a culprit or victim of it, is causing the pain as you leave it. Like the weather here in the text, it will feel like a dark and rainy and cold day where God himself has loosed cold, but holy rain on your brought out in the open life. This came out in the elders retreat last week. Phil Prince is like this C.S. Lewis fan and he knows all the quotes and stories. That man read a lot of books used to own a bookstore, a Christian bookstore. I guess at a Christian bookstore and business isn't good. You sit down around and read. I ought to find a way to get a TV in that bad boy, though, <laughs> personally. But it did remind me of the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, i seen the movie. In C.S. Lewis' was chronic, C.S. Lewis's Chronicle Narnia, a kid's book series, which is largely an allegory. I don't know if you would agree, but an allegory about the kingdom of God and it has lion, the lion Aslan representing Jesus. And in this part of the story, a kid named Eustace, who has become a scaly dragon, who wants to rid himself of his terrible scales so he can be bathed and cleansed and pure again, tries to take off his own scales and realizes he can't. Aslan, representing Jesus Christ, has to take it off for him. And Eustace says this about that hard but holy experience. This is what he says. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. But then and only after the painful work of God removing the scales, Eustace was free to be washed in the cool waters by Aslan and no longer be a dragon. Here's the good news. Like Eustace and Narnia, when we begin leaving, confessing our sins in the pain of your loss, you will gain and experience the grace and love of God like you've never experienced it before. Look at verse 1 through 3 in chapter 10. Well, Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God. A very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. For the people wept bitterly, and Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, and son of Elam, addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. What hope are they speaking about in verse 2? Not only, this is the hope, not only that they would be forgiven but they will be made whole again. That what sin, their sin took away, God will replace even double. That the way sin has eaten and torn and shamed will grow back. That once again and more and more, we will be able to enter the house of the Lord with great joy in thanksgiving. That the Lord in his grace will turn our mourning that Ezra experienced into joy and our sorrow into thanksgiving. You and I may be confronted by some serious, looming, dangerously embedded in silent but deadly sin. And it is easy to lose hope. Heck, you should. God should divorce us like He commanded Israel to do here. But though we have been unfaithful, the covenant God is faithful to His people and promises to never divorce us like them. Our transgression, our ingrained heart against God is great. It is greater than most of us even know or want to know. The environment we live in, especially in this USA, is dark and cold. And we have and will find that we have not one marriage, but multiple complex marriages to things that are unholy. But the good news for us and against the pain of sin laws is that God has given us a graced period. Not a grace period, a graced period, which means God has given this time to repent and turn away. You see, Christ became what Ezra intimated condemned, shamed, rejected by God, injured and dead because of sin so that we could come to him before God for mercy for our sin so that you and I could not live shamed and condemned and paralyzed to turn to God. Our transgressions are great, greater than we can handle, and he has given us time and patience and love and power to turn back to him. God is patient and kind. So we would experience a gospel that empowers us over a lifetime graced period to be free to give over and separate ourselves from sin and run to and finally rest in Christ-given mercy. Rest. Rest. You have a graced period in God because of Christ.